Would you listen as I read these words uh, from Romans chapter 5, verse 1? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are one of our kids, uh, there's programming down the hall for you. You can be dismissed at this time. And I want to welcome everybody to uh, the 11 o'clock service here at Community. We are so glad that you are here uh, to participate in worship with us. Um, I want you to put yourself in this scene. You are with your teenager, and you have told her, this is what's going to happen on Friday night. Because you and your dad, you and, you and, uh, you and your, me and your father, whoever you are, me and your wife, I don't know, I don't know uh, we have plans, okay? And uh, we need your help. You have to be here Friday night, 4 o'clock, to watch the, your younger siblings. Um, we have a reservation, and if you aren't here, if you are late, then we're late, and we lose that spot, and the night can't happen. And if that happens, then you will feel the wrath, like you are really laying it on thick to this teenager who you are depending on. Well, Friday comes, and what happens? <laughs> I, I don't want to throw all the teenagers under the bus here, but I'm going to today. No teenager, four o'clock, five after four, still no teenager, you're a little miffed right now, 4.08, you're a little mad, 4.15 rolls around, you're boiling a little bit, 4.30, now there's steams and hot flames and lasers coming from your eye sockets, right? Finally, almost an hour later, your child arrives, and you wonder why you ever trusted this person whose brain is not fully cooked, right? Why did I put myself in this situation? And she says to you, I know I'm late, but you need to understand why. She says, I was at Sonic, I was hanging out with friends, I was about to leave to be here at 4 o'clock, and all of a sudden, this truck came barreling through the drive through lane, came to a screeching halt right at the doors, and two masked men jumped out, they flashed guns around, they told everybody to get down, and then they went inside, and they robbed the cash drawer, and they came back out, and they went fleeing off, and everyone was stunned. And in minutes, the police came, and in seconds, they were there. And when the police arrived, they would not let anybody go until they had statements from everybody. Now, your first thought as a parent is, nice try, right? But then you get on Facebook and your social media feeds, and sure enough, man, everybody's talking about what just went down at Sonic, and they really did get robbed, and your, your daughter really was a witness now, what has just happened? Well, on one hand, nothing has changed, right? Your teen is still late. Your night is still ruined. On the other hand, though, everything has changed because your view of her has gone from derelict teenager to justified victim of circumstance. We are in a series called uh, Focus, and um, we're taking the VBS lessons that, that our kids are going to 
look at each day of the VBS week, and we're, we're looking at those five Sundays out from VBS. This is ramping us up to VBS, and it really is a great opportunity for us all to get on the same page for this valuable, valuable time of ministry that we call Vacation Bible School. And it really is an important thing that we do, and it serves a great need. And so we appreciate your help. We hope that you can jump on board in all of those ways that Paul was talking about earlier. But um, the theme is focus. And so what we're taking a look at uh, first week, we, take a, we took a look at what God made. Uh, second week, we took a look at how Jesus teaches us. Next week, we're going to take a look at how we can talk to God at any time, anywhere, about anything. And then the final week, we'll look at ways that we get to love people in the way that Jesus has loved us. And so today, what we're looking at is this, what Jesus has done for us. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Why is this gospel of Jesus such earth-shattering life-altering news. What does the story of Jesus really, at the end of the day, do for me and for you? And we can talk about literally dozens of ideas when it comes to what the gospel does for us. I have a book on my shelf. It's called 50 Reasons That Jesus Had to Die. And so, number one, no, I won't do that to you uh, today, but I, I do want to take a look at number 34, uh, and I just throw that out because there are literally dozens and dozens of ideas that we could throw out today, but I want to look at one thing that the gospel does for me and why it absolutely matters to my life, and it's found in this little verse that, that we read really quickly. A um, few words says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5.1. And we don't need to sneak up on the idea that this verse is getting at. Here it is. The gospel justifies us in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus does for us. His good work on the cross and His life, that's what it does. It justifies us in the eyes of God. And so, there's the one thing. We are justified. But what does that mean? that we are justified. Uh, if you look up the English word uh, and its definition, justification, that helps a little bit. It's the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. And so, when you, when you justify something, you, you don't change the fact of what happened, you change the view of what happened. So, we could say it this way, justification is to change your view about a person or an event. Just like the teenager at Sonic, right, that example, what, what happened, the reality of that Friday evening did not change, but the view of your teen did. That's justification. One of my favorite examples of justification comes from literature. It comes from uh, Les Miserables, and I want you to watch this little clip. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. 
a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver, we caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for Bishop uh, doesn't change what happened to Jean Valjean. That's Victor Hugo's great novel and has been made into a musical, and it's way worth your time uh, if you've never been through that. Um, but the bishop doesn't, he can't change what's happened, right? But he does change the view of what's happened. For the police, he changes their view. He changes the view of the sisters that are walking, watching. He, he changes the view of even Jean Valjean himself. That's the main character in the story. And this justification is then the turning point of Jean Valjean's life. And just like that, Jesus is the turning point in our life, the way He justifies us. The heart of the gospel is this, that our record has not changed. What we've done in our life doesn't magically disappear. We have sinned, right? We have done unworthy things, things that made us unclean. But the way that God sees us, that has been changed because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our record will always remain what it is. We sinned. 
We rebelled against God. But something amazing happens because of Jesus and His work. It's not that God actually makes us good or noble or valuable or worthy or beautiful, but because Jesus has intervened with His good life, with His goodness and nobleness and valuableness and worthiness and beauty, he, he, then God sees those things in us because Jesus is all of those things. And so, the gospel is this, not that you fix yourself and develop some righteousness and then give it to God so He owes you, but the gospel is this, that God, just like the bishop, has developed a righteousness for you that He gives you in Jesus, and He's given it to you freely, and now your life needs to turn. It has to be different, just like Jean Valjean. Now, how does this all work? Um, And let's just do a little Bible study in Romans. Uh, We'll start in chapter 5, verse 1, our little text. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This little phrase, justified by faith, is central to the Christian faith. If Paul uh, would, if you would isolate a nutshell summary of the gospel, this is it for Paul. He doesn't just use that phrase here, he uses it all over his writings. And justified by faith is a new paradigm for all of Paul's readers. And here's the old paradigm. The old paradigm is that I'm justified in God's eyes by keeping the law of God, by keeping rules, by my obedience to God's laws. And we need to go back a little bit to Romans chapter 3 where Paul confronts this old way of thinking, this old paradigm, and shows us why it doesn't work. He writes this in Romans chapter 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And if we dig into that just a little bit, here's what we can learn. Whatever the law says, it says to everyone under the law. That's the way he starts out. It just means this. That's easy. If you're in the United States of America, then the laws of the United States of America apply. If you're in Mexico, then the laws of Mexico apply. And if you're under God's rules, then God's rules, no matter who you are, where you've come from, apply to you. Okay? Here's the second line. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now, that's not as easy, but it's this, that there's something very specific that the law is going to say to you, whatever that law happens to be at the moment. And the result of what it says will always result in your silence. Why? It's because the law will only tell you one thing. It will only ever tell you that you failed to live up to it. Uh, let me give you an example. Maybe you're going down national and you see the speed limit side. What's the speed limit on national? 30. It's 30 miles an hour. Okay. Some of you need to pay attention to the signs, okay? Just saying. Wow. Uh, <laughs> what is that sign really saying to you as you're going down national? Is it clapping? Hey, good job, good job. You're going 30 miles an hour. No, it doesn't do that. Uh, mostly because we go 35, right? We go 40 down national. Uh, the, the sign will never say, good job, even if you're going under the speed limit, even, even if you're going 28, it will never say, good job. It will be there as a reminder that yesterday you weren't going 28, you are going 32, or tomorrow you're going to go 35. The law's only job is to tell you 
you can't keep me. It's not to say, well done. That's not the law's job. It is to say, you failed. And the law will never declare us right in God's eyes because of that. Here's what Tim Keller says about the law. The law is not a checklist we keep. It's a benchmark that we fail. Here's the third line, Paul says, through the law, we become knowledgeable of sin, right? The speed limit says 30, and we become knowledgeable about the fact that we are breaking the law if we go over 30 miles an hour. Whenever we bump up against any law, whether it's speed, speed limit sign or don't murder somebody else, whatever law it is, it really doesn't matter how loyal or kind or thoughtful or generous or loving we are, in the end, we can only be silent because the only response that we have to a holy God whose laws we've trespassed upon is this, I'm a sinner. I haven't been able to live up to the law that you've given me. I have no offer to make. I'm in dire straits, and the law tells me this. One more line from Paul. He says, for by works of law, no human being can be justified in his sight. The silent mouth that comes because we can't, we don't have anything to say after we break the law, that is a spiritual condition. It's a spiritual condition that we have to we have to accept at some point, and it's a step on the path to be able to accept the good news of Jesus. A person being silent is a person who realizes that because they failed to keep all the law, they also know that they cannot save themselves. They will never be justified by the law in God's eyes because the law will only ever point out our flaws. It will never fix them. And so the question is, how in the world can a person be justified? And a very helpful uh, idea around this word justification is that it has a legal reference. And so I want you to put yourself in that territory. Um, think a courtroom setting, uh, a judge, a jury, defense attorney, uh, witnesses, and the bailiff. You, you get all of that. And in that setting, the opposite of being justified is to be condemned. And that will help us clarify what we're talking about. In a court, in the, at the end of the trial, when all the evidence is weighed and all the arguments are heard, the accused person is either justified and acquitted and set free, or they are found guilty and condemned. J.I. Packer says, to justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty but is entitled to all the privileges due those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence of condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. We are condemned in our sin. That's what the law does. It condemns us. But then there's a gospel. There's good news coming to us through Jesus Christ. What is it? Here's what Paul writes. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice by His blood. 
to be received by faith. All three of those highlighted words are exactly the same word, and they could be translated justification. They're all the same word. And so here's what we take away. The only way that we can be justified, the only way that we can be declared righteous before God and in His eyes is through the payment for sin that Jesus makes on the cross. Only Jesus can make it just as if I'd never sinned. That's a great way to remember this idea of justification. It means in God's eyes, because of Jesus, it's just as if I've never sinned. He alone has made a payment sufficient enough to take care of all of my wrongdoing and all of my rebellion. Only His perfect life makes Him qualified to step into the courtroom of God and plead our case. Justification means that when we are called to account in the courtroom of God, that Jesus pops up right beside us, and He acts as our defense attorney. He pleads our case for us, and here's the case that He has before God on our behalf. It's amazing. It goes this way. Yes, God, this person is a sinner, and this sin must be paid for. Punishment has to be doled out to pay for sin. But, Your Honor God, I want you to remind you that even though this person is a sinner, that their sin has already been paid for. Because I lived my own life perfectly and gave that perfect life as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for all sin. And so, since this sin has been paid for, since their sin has been paid for, it would not be right of you to exact another payment for sin that's already been paid for. The right decision, God, the just decision, this is Jesus talking to God, this is His defense, the right decision, God, is to declare them not guilty and set them free because their sin has already been paid for. That's amazing. And our only chance of facing the judgment of God and getting through that without, without scathing is our defense attorney, Jesus. He argues that although we are actually sinners, that we are not under condemnation because the penalty has already been paid in full. And with that argument, our reality isn't changed, but the way God sees us changes. We are justified. That sin that you're not proud of, it's still there. But God now sees you as righteous because Jesus paid the penalty. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No one is justified in God's eyes except through Jesus. We cannot manufacture our own reason for God to change His view of us. There's no excuse that's, that's good enough. There's no reasoning that's good enough. There's no promise we can make to God to live a better life that's good enough to have His view of our sin changed. It's only Jesus that changes God's view of our sin. And they, the implications of that are pretty huge. Let, let me close today this way. I just want to give you three little takeaways. If the only way that, that God changes His view of you and justifies you 
is through Jesus, then number one, Christ will only do everything for you or nothing at all. He's everything or He's nothing. In another scripture, Paul writes this, I don't nullify the grace of God because if righteousness or justification, same word, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Either Jesus justifies us alone before God and justifies us before God fully, or He does nothing and His death was a waste of time. And that means this, that you cannot combine your merit or your good deeds and His grace and His work on the cross. You can't combine those two. If justification is by the law in any way, even the smallest way, then Christ's death is meaningless in history and it's meaningless to you personally. I've shared this illustration, and it's one you need to remember. That's why I come back to it over and over. Imagine that you were outside your house, and it's burning down, but everybody that you love, you got all your pets out, you got all your, uh, all your family out, nobody is in the house. And imagine that you're watching it burn, and I come along beside you, and I say to you, I want to I show you how much I love you. And I take off, and I dive into that burning house hoping to save somebody, and you're like, uh, there was nobody in there. Like, what? that was a waste, right? Or maybe same situation, but there is somebody inside the house. There's a child that you couldn't find, and you're all outside on the sidewalk and screaming because there's somebody inside the house. And I pop up in that situation, and I say, I want you to see how much I love you, and I go into that house, and at the peril of my own life, I save that child. Now what do you say? Look how much He loved us, right? The cross is exactly the same thing. It's either a total waste, or it's everything imaginable. If we can do anything to justify ourselves, then Christ, it's like He's going into a burning house to save nobody. But when we realize we cannot justify ourselves, Christ's death means everything to us. And it is the thing that turns us to a different life. If the only way God's, God changes His view of you and your sin or He justifies you is Jesus, here's number two, there's room for everyone. There is room for everyone. If it's only Jesus, then let me ask you a question. What makes you eligible to be here today? worshiping, coming around a table, eating the blood and the body of Jesus Christ? What makes you eligible to do that? What makes you eligible to be a part of God's family? Is it your super spirituality? Is it your morality, your exceptional morality? Is it your sexuality, your pure sexuality? Is it your personality? Is it your mentality? Is it your virtuality? No, it's none of those things. It's Jesus. And if that's true, then it also applies for everyone else. And so there's room for everyone because Jesus is the only one that can justify us. Now, that's a very simple thought, but at the very same time, it's a great challenge to us. What would it look like if there really was in this place room for everyone? What if every person you know in the, outside these walls 
was welcomed here, and they could feel it. They knew it. Think about the diversity of people that could walk through these doors if we got serious about just this one idea. What could happen as a result? Think about who could come in and gather around the table to share in Christ's death and His resurrection. Because of the way that we are all justified, it's only Jesus. What that means is we have the luxury to throw the doors wide open and invite everybody in because everybody has room. There's room at the cross for everyone, right? If you were brought to the table because of the justification of Christ and that's it, then you cannot deny other people that same path. One preacher uh, I know tells his people this, go out and invite somebody that is not like you. And that's our great privilege because Jesus alone justifies us. All people are welcome. There's room for everyone, especially people who are not like us. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide, and His grace so free is sufficient for me, as deep as the ocean, as wide as the sea. If you were born before 1985, join me on the chorus. There's room at the cross for you. There's three of you out there. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. If the only way, thank you. If the only way God changes his, it's called a hymn, uh, it's an old school thing. <laughs> Google it, okay? If the only way God changes his view of you and justifies you is Jesus, if that's the only way, then here's, here's the last, last thing we'll, we'll end with. Then in God's eyes, you are already the person that you're trying to be. Um, I went to a game, a Royals game, a few years ago, and I stepped into the stands, and this isn't a picture that I took, um, but uh, it's representative of what I saw. A, a section over, uh, there was a guy, and <laughs> when I say he was decked out in full Hosmer gear, I mean decked out in full Hosmer gear. He had uh, this was at the time when Eric Hosmer was still playing first base for the Royals, and this guy had the jersey with Hosmer on the back. He had the under uh, shirt with the sleeves going down. He had full pants. Uh, he had stirrups. I'm sure that if I had seen his shoes, they were probably cleats. Uh, he had the ball glove. He had the hat. I mean, legit everything. The thing that tipped me off that this was not Eric Hosmer was the gray hair coming out from underneath his hat. And the fact that I looked down on the field and there in the batting cage was the real Eric Hosmer. And I thought, wow. I mean, I take my ball glove to the park, but that's crazy town, right? <laughs> to be full regalia in the stands, that's kind of over the top. But I, but I thought about that little, a little bit, and let's just pretend. What, what if I would walk up to that guy? and say, hey, my name's Dusty, 
and uh, just interested in, you know, why you're, why you're in the get-up here. Like, like I, I know you're a fan, but, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of crazy. And what if he reached into his wallet and he gave uh, me a look at his license? And on his license it said, Frank Hosmer. What if this guy was somebody who had known Eric since the day he was born? Because maybe this guy is Eric's father or Eric's grandfather, or maybe his uncle. Then all of a sudden, eh, you know, it might still be a little weird, but it's understandable, right? Because if this guy is Eric Hosmer's dad, grandfather, uncle, then he's just changed my view of what is in front of me, right? This is not just some crazy old Royals fan. No, no, no. This is a family member. He's a loving relative, and it's not due to his ability on the field, right, that he's a part of the family. It's due to his name. He's a Hosmer, and he has as much right to that uniform as the real guy who's playing first base. And do you, do you see what's going on here, what Jesus has done for us? If we have been justified with, by Jesus and Him alone then in Christ, we are just like the old guy in the Hosmer suit. We are justified. Sin has separated us from the playing field to the point that we look like we're mental, but Jesus played the game for us. He played it perfectly. And then He gave His record to us. He hung His most outstanding player uh, award around our neck, and because He did, God has changed His view of us. None of this is because we were finally able to play life really well. We still run the bases in the wrong order sometimes, but, but our connection to Jesus changes everything. We're still just like the old weird guy in the baseball uniform, but at the same time, we are the real thing in God's eyes. We are part of His family. We are righteous. We are justified. And only in Jesus can you already be the person that you are trying to be. So look at what Jesus has done for us. He's reconciled us to God. By His death, His payment for sin, God has changed His view of us. Jesus has justified us. And so, here's the invitation. Justification doesn't happen um, haphazardly. God doesn't give justification just to everybody, just willy-nilly. There are requirements. Let me just read Scripture, okay? Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are, what's the word? Justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this justification is offered as a gift. You're drowning and God is throwing you a life preserver. Romans 5.1, this is our text. Therefore, since we have been what? Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we want Jesus as our defense attorney, then faith is the requirement to accept that free gift. Here's Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses 
and is saved. Being justified is tied to belief and to confession of what Jesus has done. To confess just means to say the same thing as. And so to confess Jesus means I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a washing. What would that refer to? Baptism. Baptism is the time that sinners have their sins forgiven and are justified in God's eyes. What am I doing? All I'm doing here is reading. I'm giving you the New Testament pattern that is given over and over and over again to people who have realized that their only option is silence before God because they, they can't measure up. So I'm without excuse. There's nothing I can do. I can't save myself. So what do I do to be saved? Here's what the New Testament says. Look at what Jesus has done for you. And then respond to that in faith, in belief, in confession. Be baptized and receive the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God will see you in the same way that he sees Jesus. God, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. That he has made us right in your eyes. We could never do that on our own. But in submitting to him, faith and repentance and confession and baptism, we get all of those qualities of Jesus poured on us. We get to claim his righteousness. We get to claim his holiness. And that means you see us differently. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you've saved us. I pray that if there's somebody here that has never stepped forward to be justified, that would be their decision today. That they would come and believe in faith, in repentance, in confession, in baptism. That they might be yours, part of your family because of what Jesus has done.